0: Uh, All right, church. You ready for some more impractical teaching? Okay, so I have to tell you, here's how I'll know, if you're ready, that you'll be opening your Bibles to James chapter 3. That's how I know. So if you're going to be ready, I need you to see it, because I have to tell you that this is the most difficult and convicting sermon that you will hear in 2023. So, yeah, how's that for a setup? So I need you to see it. It's James chapter 3 is where we're going to spend some time. Because if you're new with us today, we've been walking through the book of James. We've been walking through a series entitled, A Practical Guide for an Impractical Life. And James has been seeking to show us how our faith in Jesus Christ should be lived out on a practical basis in our lives. He's been showing us what the gospel should look like. And each week, it seems to be getting more and more impractical. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Yeah. So this week, it's going to get even worse. It's going to get even harder. This is one of the most difficult messages of all. It's going to touch every single one of our lives, including this guy right here. James is going to be talking about our tongue. James is going to be talking about our speech. James is going to be talking about our language, the things that say that come out of this little thing right here. And he's going to get to it just in time for Christmas, right? Just in time for all those relatives that are going to show up at your house. Just in time for all the traffic from the snowbirds, all the Christmas chaos, all the last-minute rushing to the mall, just in time for all the chaos, all the pressure for the end-of-year sales quotas and the end-of-year final exams, just in time for the busy travel season. Yay! Right? Aren't we lucky? And just like a doctor, just like a medical exam that checks your tongue in order to see what's really going on inside of you, James does the exact same thing right here in James chapter 3. James knows that far too often with believers, our tongues are indicative of who we really are on the inside. And so James is about to do a medical exam on us. He's going to ask the question, what kind of story is your speech telling about the gospel to which you believe? What is it? What what, what story are you telling in your speech about the gospel to which you hold? Now, could you imagine if right now I said, hey, we have a special treat for everyone this morning. We sent our camera crew to follow you around all week. We didn't tell you. We're we're in the corner. We we shot video of you in every conversation you have in every area of your life all week long. And we're going to show it to you right now on the two 85-inch screens behind me. Let's all watch this video in order to get an accurate picture of what you really believe about the gospel based on the conversations you had this week. Ready? Roll it. What if we said that and we're like oh oh no 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 it would be terrifying it would be absolutely terrifying now thankfully faith covenant is not into stalking right so we didn't do that however james chapter 3 is going to do it for us and we're all going to be convicted together so let's jump in what you're going to see this morning is james is going to give you six things he's going to give you six precautions That a believer needs to take heed of so that we're able to accurately ensure that the things coming out of our mouth reflect the gospel that we say we believe. You ready? Yeah, Yeah, me neither. So that's fair. You know, maybe that's what everybody kind of just did. And so let's look at James chapter 3, verse 1. It starts with the tongue is deceptive. It can make you dogmatic about the truth for everyone else's life, but somehow convince you that you don't need it for your life. Verse 1 Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now, I think it's interesting because he's starting off this discourse about the tongue. James begins by using the most esteemed vocation in all of the nation of Israel, the role of a teacher, someone whose job it is to instruct and model for every man, woman, and child in the entire nation on how to live. Because the job of the priests and the job of the rabbis were to take the divinely inspired word of God, And explain it to the nation in both word and deed to show them what it means to be obedient. To show them what it means to be set apart as a people. But James says here, be very careful about wanting so eagerly to be a teacher because with it comes a danger, and it's the danger of deception, a danger that will hold you to a stricter judgment because essentially what happens is when you lift up the standard of truth for everyone else to live by, when you do that verbally, you better be prepared because you've just erected your very own courtroom where you're going to be the first person on trial. Because if we're going to go out and tell everyone else how to live and to act and believe, according to the word of God, that it must start with me first. And so, if you're going to be a teacher, James says, you need to be very, very careful. So when the pastors stand on this platform every week, we pray for you who sit in the front row, because when the lightning strikes the stage, we're praying that doesn't hit you, because we have to reflect on our own lives first, because it's a dangerous place to be a teacher of God's Word, to stand up here week in and week out and say, thus saith the Lord. That's what God's Word says. And then to live it i better be falling into that same standard as well. And so James says, hey, you, Aspen leader. Hey, you, small group leader, life group leader, life transformation group leader. Hey, you, children's ministry teacher. Hey, you, student ministry small group leader. Hey, you, young adult leader. Hey, you. This matters. He says, be very, very careful. In Matthew chapter 12, if you remember when we went through that, Jesus said that at the day of judgment, there's going to be an accounting for every person that disobeys God for every careless word that has ever been spoken. And you're like, wow, right? There's going to be an accounting for that. But James says, yeah, yeah, that's true. But for the one who's going to go teach with your tongue how everyone else should live but yet you yourself are not willing to live to that same obedience, it's not only an accounting for you, it's going to be literally a weightier accounting, a stricter judgment is going to fall upon you, and you're going to have to give an account for this. He says, be very, very careful. And so there's an understanding that when we go and we call people to the standard of God's word, we're careful to make sure that we're living it out in our own life. Because I've seen a whole bunch of pastors look at people and address an issue with them. Let's say smoking. Hey, that's terrible you're smoking. It's terrible you're smoking. And you're polluting your body, and your body is the temple of the living God, and they are pounding the buffet week in and week out, just going hard in the paint at food. Day in and day at gluttony, just running wild in their life. He says, be very careful, because James attaches this to Matthew chapter 7 all over again. He says, let's make sure we're examining our lives frequently and completely to make sure we're dealing with this big thing called a plank sticking out of our eye as we talk to you about the speck in yours. You have to be very, very careful. And in verse 2, James begins to move from the illustration of a teacher and begins to apply this to everyone. Yay, right? Now we're all in this together. Caution number two, the tongue is not just deceptive, but the tongue is also depictive as well. The tongue reveals who you are on the inside. Check out verse two, it says, we all stumble in many ways. Did you catch that? As says we all do. Every last person in this room, every last person watching the live stream, we all do. And really, if you're going to get over this, it starts with admitting this. We all struggle with this. There's no one exempt from this section of teaching. And I really like that. That's one of the apostles going, we all do. He includes himself. That kind of gives me a little bit of hope. James says, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. Able to keep their whole body in check. Now when you see the word perfect, that word perfect doesn't mean without sin. The word perfect here means mature. So his point is, if you are able to control your tongue, you are demonstrating maturity. Which means, if you're not able to control your tongue, you are demonstrating your immaturity. That's what he's saying. And so anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, mature. And you read that, he says, he says that this is one of the ways that we can tell if we are maturing in our faith. We can tell if we're truly understanding the gospel by our speech. We can tell each other's maturity by what they say. You see, the tongue is the tattletale of the heart. It tells the truth about what's actually going on inside. It's depictive of who we really are. Jesus put it this way in Luke 6. This is what Jesus said. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Wow. What is it that you're saying? Maybe I'll put it like this. What it is. That you're saying, whether you like it or not, is conveying who you really are on the inside because the tongue is depictive. If you're a person that's, that's kind and has kind and gracious speech towards others that you are routinely lifting other people up, encouraging other people in, in, in the ways that you talk, you are a genuinely kind and gracious person. However, if you are one who continually boasts, and pridefully brags, then you're a braggart. You're an arrogant, prideful person. you're like, Kevin, how could you say that? And I said, like, I didn't say that. He did. Don't email me, email him. Like, I'm just telling you what it says. He said, Your tongue gives you away. Your tongue gives you away. If your speech is continually full of anger, if your speech is continually full of, of hatred, you're an angry person. James says, your speech isn't angry, you are. If your speech is continually filled with lies, he says, you're a liar. The words aren't a liar, you are. If your speech is continually filled with foul language, the words aren't foul, you are. And and that's hard to hear, but the truth about ourselves, according to James, and according to Jesus, our words depict our life. Jesus said, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. But the evil man brings up evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. James and Jesus agree. What we say is showing the world what's going on on the inside and if that's not convicting enough i feel like i could end there and we'd all go preach right uh he keeps going caution number three our tongue is also directive that's verse two again he says anyone who is never at fault in what they say is fully mature able to keep their whole body in check and then he gives us two metaphors he says when we put bits in the mouths of horses Uh, to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. And so what do the two metaphors have in common? Two very large things that are powered and controlled by something extremely small. You get the bit, you get the horse. You get the rudder, you get the ship. And James says, something incredibly large can be directed by something incredibly small. And so it is with our lives and our tongue. I spent some time reflecting on my own marriage. Two things I came up with that I hated. First thing I actually said, I actually had to talk to my wife about this. There's a show back in the day called The Amazing Race. I actually said to my wife, I could never go on that show with you because the whole world would see the way I talk to you. And she's like, awesome. Because why is it that I say things to my spouse that I would never say to one of you? You know what I'm saying? We do this to each other. We say things to our spouse, cutting, sarcastic, hurtful things. I would never say in public or never say to someone else. And don't even get me started about communication. So many couples have such a hard time communicating. It's like the moment the ring goes on the finger is the moment you begin really looking for your spouse's buttons. And you push and you push and you push and you push. And through the years, the marriage just becomes a ping-pong match. The words just go back and forth, back and forth. Hey, could you not do this, please? You're so annoying. Well, it wouldn't be so annoying if you didn't say that. Well, I wouldn't be so annoying if you didn't do that and that and that. Oh, yeah? Well, not only did you do that and that and that, you did this and this and this, and your mom did that and that too, and you're basically the same person. So, <laughs> You can see it. It's on and on it goes. Ding, 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 ding. Let's get ready to rumble. Right? Let the fight begin. And we just start brawling back and forth. And on and on it goes. And our marriages get dented and battered and bruised. And all these relationships just get attacked. All while there are so many issues that must be dealt with in our marriages. But we can't even get to them because we can't speak kindly to one another we can't say nice things to one another we can't stop the name calling we can't stop the yelling we we just can't stop the cutting remarks that incredibly small thing on the front of our faces has absolutely amazing power to direct the course of our marriages this small thing takes our marriages to very very scary places takes them to catastrophic, hurtful, devastating places, and we find ourselves wondering all the while, how did our marriage get here? How did this happen? And, And James tells us, It's the same way with other areas of our lives. Our tongues can be directive there as well. Your tongue can actually determine the course that your life is going to take based on the way you speak. And it can determine the course of other people's lives based on the way you speak to them. Case in point, I won't even ask for a show of hands. How many of you grew up with parents who could never say anything positive about you? No matter how hard you tried at athletics, no matter how accomplished you were at academics, no matter how popular you were in social arenas, it doesn't matter any of those things, it was never enough. You were never enough. And now you realize that over and over again you can hear the sounds of your parents' voices still to this very day playing over and over and over again. And it shaped the very direction of your life. It might have shaped your college experience, your spouse, and more. As compared to how many of you had parents who spoke into your life and built you up? Who gave esteem to you, who applauded you and cheered you over and over and over again. And they told you over and over again, I love you, I am proud of you. And they cared for you, and they told you how good you are and what that did to build up your life and set your life in another direction. We all have friends with parents on one side or the other. The power of words is amazing because it can literally direct our friendships. It can direct our parenting. It can direct our marriages. There is an amazing directive power in the tongue. Want an impractical idea this week? Commit to speaking this week. To your spouse kindly no amens okay so uh just wondering if that was going to happen because nobody said amen there i just wondered if that's you know that's impractical just not to your kids for a second how about let's not get crazy let's start with one at a time okay how about we say you know what we're going to speak kindly to our spouse this week all week long because thank you thank you (laughs) i know there's somebody listening (laughs) because there's so many issues in our relationships that we can't even get to because we don't know how to speak kindly to one another. If I can just get couples for one week to commit to speaking kindly to each other, you'd be amazed at the trajectory of the marriages in our church, how this will open up doors for you to be able to identify issues that were under the surface that you couldn't get to because you couldn't get past each other's language. If you could just set down the language for one week, oh, how much that will change the direction of your home. The tongue is deceptive, the tongue is depictive, and the tongue is directive. And now starting in verse 5, James says, caution four: if you cannot learn to get your tongue under control, your tongue will be destructive. Verse 5 says, likewise. The tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. How true is that? 10,000 acres burned because someone flips the cigarette butt out their window carelessly and it rolls onto the grass and it burns. You know, I I was reading online that uh, 42,000 acres this summer burned in Montana and they traced it back and they figured out how it started. I don't know who has this job, but this is what they said. A grasshopper, (laughs) was on the tailpipe of a car, caught on fire, jumped into the median, and that's what started the fire for 42,000 acres. They say there's a section of it still burning. It's winter there. I'm not exactly sure how that works, but, but that's what they're saying. And I thought, wow, something so small starts a, a fire for 42,000 acres. So small, yet so much damage. It's interesting that James continues. He says, in the same way, he says in verse 6, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Like, okay, someone's going hard in the paint with what's going on. And that phrase there, course of one's life, it's used one place in Scripture right here. And the Greek word that's used here means... The wheels of your genesis. That's probably the literal translation would be the, wor- the wheels of your genesis. The tongue sets on fire, the wheel of your birth. You're like, what does that mean? Well, the idea here is James says, every one of us has a genesis, has a beginning, has a birthplace. And at that moment, the wheel of life begins to spin, a cycle of life that would play out for the rest of your life. And as life starts spinning, James says, our tongue is small, yes, but it has the power between the day of your birth and the day that that wheel stops spinning to catch everything in your life on fire and burn it to the ground. From the day of your birth, because what's the first thing a baby does when it's born? And it never stops. We never stop. It just moves from crying to complaining. It just moves from crying to criticizing, to judging, to slander, to gossip. It starts that way, and he says, hell sets it on fire, and it destroys everything in between. And the question we have to ask is, is that me? Do my coworkers, do my kids, do my spouse, do my neighbors? Do the people in my world say, boy, that guy is mean? Do they say, boy, that lady is bitter? That guy or girl, they're just biting. That guy, that lady, they can't speak well about anybody. There's always something wrong, always. And they say, we're just offering constructive criticism. And the world says, no, no, you're not. You're just complaining over and over and over and this and they're just being passive aggressive and and people don't want to be around them but these people they don't even know that people don't want to be around them we've been given time here on earth for a mission do you realize that if you're still alive god says you still have a mission you still have a purpose because when he doesn't need you anymore he'll take you home you're not like well just hang out until i get to you You know, you're number 47 on the waiting list. That's not how it works. You know, you're here for a mission. But what James is saying is our mouths are destroying our mission. They're destroying our families. They're destroying our marriages and our kids and our parenting and our jobs. They're destroying everything. And some of us don't even know it. And James says, wake up. Church, wake up. Be very, very careful. And not only that, James says the tongue is a world of evil meaning most of the wicked deeds that have ever been committed in our culture, if you trace it back like that little grasshopper, the outward beginnings can often be tied to the mouth. Whether it's lying or slandering or gossiping or hateful speech, whether it's prideful boasting or anger or racist remarks, foul language, put downs, or whatever it may be, James says this mouth of ours is set on fire by hell that word usage here is actually a play on words the the play on words here is he's attaching it to hell spiritually but he's actually attaching it to a physical place in our world outside of jerusalem there's a valley and in that valley is where jerusalem takes all their garbage it's like the dump and they bring it there and they drop it in this valley and they light it on fire and because of the volume of garbage, it stays lit 24-7, 365, just burning, burning, burning. And he's like, yeah. He connects those two. And he uses us, that's what hell will be like, a place of torment or fire for evil. And what James is doing here is saying that our mouth is literally set on fire by the fires of evil. And hell's intention is to use our language to defile everything in our path to contaminate everything in your world to make sick everything in its path that's the power of the tongue it has the opportunity to go in and divide lives to break up friendships destroy marriages and destroy children it splashes on everything and infects it all think about how many of us just love being in the company of a gossip How many of us are like, wow, that's just so sweet to be around those people? Said no one ever, right? No. Actually, when you get done, even though sometimes we participate, when when it kind of hits you, you're like, I think I need a shower. Like, I feel so dirty and wrong. What? I'm not sure what, what, what to do here. You might feel justified in the moment, but then you just feel gross. And so James says the tongue is like an infectious virus that just spreads and consumes everything in its path. The tongue is deceptive, the tongue is depictive, it is directive, and it is destructive. Caution number five, he says, your tongue's dangerous. Your tongue is very, very dangerous. Verse seven, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. You think about the circus for a minute. You go to a circus. You watch a guy take his head and jam it to the mouth of a lion. We can teach bears to wear tutus and dance around. SeaWorld teaches dolphins to jump through hoops. We can teach an animal. We can tame it to do just about anything. There's a picture, um, a, a missionary friend of mine in Thailand, sent me the picture of a guy in Thailand who taught his snake how to dance to MC Hammer. How is that even possible? I'm going to give you a second to, to explain to the young people in the room who MC Hammer is. Uh-oh, 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 come on, you know? And I thought, how is that even possible? How is that even possible? We can do anything with animals, but notice the one thing we cannot do, verse 8. We cannot tame our tongue. You know, my first dog, I taught my first dog how to salute. I could teach a dog how to salute. You can teach an elephant to stand on a box and balance a human on its trunk, but yet I find it almost impossible at times to teach a husband how to not belittle his wife. I can teach a dog to salute, but I can't teach a couple how not to Belittle one another. Oh, how much trouble this two-ounce appendage can get us into. And James says the tongue is more dangerous than even some of the wildest animals on our planet. That's our tongue. And the final caution is found in verse 9. The caution is the tongue can be duplicitous. The tongue is a a two-faced animal. Because if you're not convicted yet, you're not listening. But starting in verse 9, this is where it gets worse. Verse 9 says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Isn't that true? We raise our hands. All hail King Jesus. God, you are... The author and perfector, God, you are so amazing. God, we love you. God, we sing his praises. We talk about the names of God. How awesome is he? How great is he? He is mighty to save. And we walk out those doors and we get cut off in the parking lot. And the foul language just flies. Ten minutes later, we're at home and the buttons get pushed by our annoying kids. Sixty minutes later... Our spouse says something, just ask it a question, and the slent, some of you's spiritual gift is sarcasm, <laughs> and it just comes out. And you just sang, all hail King G. James says, this should not be. This should not be. The words should not be flying like that. It's amazing the, the duplicity of the tongue. And not only are we attacking someone verbally, James says we're attacking somebody who's made in the image of God. We're actually attacking an image bearer of the Most High God. You're attacking someone that reflects value and worth that comes from God. And James says, brothers and sisters, this should not be. And just in case you think James isn't enough here, and just in case you said, Kevin, I need more than Jesus too, because I just need more proof. Let's look at Paul. Maybe Paul has something to say with this. Ephesians chapter four. This is what he says. He says, with ooh, he says, do not let any unwholesome or rotten talk that's what unwholesome talk means, rotten talk. Come out of your mouths. But only. Only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And you're like, wow. He's an equal opportunity offender. Look at verse 11, how he wraps this up. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. James says it doesn't make sense for somebody who claims to be a Christian It doesn't make sense for someone who has placed their faith in jesus christ it does not make sense for the one who has been cleansed who has put that christ has put in us his holy spirit and has given us new life and all the while through our own mouths we are portraying a picture of something totally different he says it doesn't make sense in the natural realm and it certainly doesn't make sense in the spiritual realm you don't see that kind of duplicity take place in nature. He says, usually the fruit on the tree is indicative of the root. And so James says, how can it be with the Christian that we would bless the Lord's name in one moment and then go and cuss somebody out in the next? Go and use foul language in the midst of our frustration because the sports team didn't win. He says, "That doesn't make any sense. This makes no sense at all so what's the point James is trying to make about our tongue? He's trying to tell us that our tongue reveals who we are and whose we are. Our tongue reveals who we are and whose we are. And so I think for you and I... When we read this text, as convicting as as it is, it's meant to be that way. He wants us to take this short medical exam. How are you doing on the inside, is what he's asking all of us. How are we doing on the inside? How are you doing in the area of speech? Because it's reflecting the status of your heart. Because if your language is filled with kindness and gentleness... It's filled with sensitivity and grace and honesty and purity and sincerity that is reflective of a God that has saved you. Yes. Or is your language continually filled with anger and bitterness, gossip, slander, prideful boasting, put downs and criticism, and you're blaming everybody else but the person in the mirror? You're blaming every other situation in your life but the person in the mirror. What comes out of here shows what's going on in here. Church, you know what's impractical? Taking some time to reflect on this. What I love is the world doesn't want us to slow down long enough to stop and just think for a minute and reflect and go, is there anything here? Is this me? Taking some time to be honest about this with ourselves. And when the Holy Spirit reveals it, repent. What language needs to be used? Because it's not just repenting that, that you said something. Because some people go, I don't use foul language. You do in here. It's the same thing. One of the hardest things, I was a cusser growing up in high school. So I played basketball. My mom was in the stands. She goes to this church now. She's not going to love hearing this next service. I might cut it. I wanted to cuss at people, but my mom's in the stand. So you take your shirt and you wipe off your face, and I cuss at you underneath my shirt, put it down, smile at my mom and nod. (laughs) And then when she figured out what I was doing, you know, the spankings came, and the groundings came, and all that came. It still was going off in here, because it was showing what's going on here. When you do this, what does it look like? To seek forgiveness from others. Some of you, your words have been hurtful today, and it's like 11 a.m. Who do we need to go back today and apologize to? Who, who, Who do we need to go back to today and seek forgiveness from? How about surrendering this area in your life? How about going to some people in your life and saying, when I use hurtful language, When I say things that are sarcastic or put-downs, or when I use foul language, call me out. I want to be a better person. That's not who I want to be. And then ask him to come in and change your life from the inside out, not just in what you say, but in here. Let us be people who are so deeply touched by the gospel of Jesus Christ and the grace that he has offered us, the new life that he's offered us that we cannot help but go and declare through our lips the goodness of who he is and what he has done. Because that would change some things this Christmas, wouldn't it? What would the world see if a whole church changed how they talk? How impractical would that be? What an impractical Christmas gift. Some of our spouses would go, I'll take that. You know, I asked our student ministries on Wednesday night, I asked all the students, I said, hey, uh, tell me some things you want for Christmas. The only thing they said was cold, hard cash, by the way, parents. That's what it seems like all the students want was good, cold, hard cash. Um, but imagine, imagine if what we wanted for Christmas was, if you would talk to me kindly, I'll take that. Keep the ring, keep the shoes, keep the gift cards, Is that an option? Like, I'll take that. That's an impractical Christmas. This Christmas, may the unbelieving world around us, through our own language, may they see a fresh painting of who Jesus is and what he's done in our life to transform us and make us a new creation, the very creation that he's promised to make us. And may we be a church that demonstrates that not only in what we do, but also in how we speak. How impractical is that and so to close the service we're going to do what we always do and we're going to sing his praises what words will you use when we're done so i'm going to ask you why don't we start by sitting and listening to the worship team for just a second and when you're ready you stand So we can end by standing and singing his praises together. Because when we leave this place, let the fun begin.